3: Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Unfiltered, which features a guest I am almost too excited to tell you. I'll give you a clue. The Last Jedi is out on DVD on April the 9th and my guest this week on Unfiltered, wait for it, is Mark Hamill. I think probably... More than any of the other times I've ever said this, my guest needs no introduction. Mark, <laughs> Mark Hamill, hello. Hello. Can I, can I begin by asking when people meet you for the first time whether anyone's ever mean? Because I, I was running through my choices of greeting from, right. from wow right. to huge fan to sort of pant-wettingly excited yeah. to all, all of those things. Do you ever get greeted normally? Do you ever have people meeting you
1: for the first time who just greet you like a... Yeah, they yeah. do. They do. I, one thing you have to get used to over the years, people say, gee, you're so much taller in the movie. <laughs> and you, know, you sort of get self-conscious about your size. I remember I was on a set and Clint Eastwood came on because he was a friend of one of the actors. And I kept it in the thought bubble, but I thought... He's not as big as I thought he was. <laughs> and then I realized, we're seeing this man billboard size. So even though he's easily 6'2", I I don't know, I expected him to be 30 foot tall. <laughs> yes, well... Just have to get used to it.
3: He's quite big, yeah, yeah. Um In terms of what you carry around with you, it's... Yeah, I, there's a Joseph Heller story. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Someone came out to Joseph... Catch-22. Yeah, and they said to him, how does it feel that you've never written a book as good as catch Catch-22. And he said, nobody else has either. <laughs> and, and that kind of made me think of you, because I imagine you get asked a lot of questions about Peking with Star Wars and all that. And, sure, and, and uh, yet
1: nobody else has, has done anything that good. Well, the, the thing is, I you know I thought I put it in perspective in my life and tried to accentuate the positive that you, you were able to go and do Broadway because you could support yourself on the money you yeah. saved uh, from those movies. Uh, the The positive far outweighs the negative. And uh, people say, gee, you know, uh, are you sorry you're remembered only for Luke Skywalker? I said, I didn't expect to be remembered for anything. So this is just uh, an unexpected treat. Uh, And especially to be associated, at least it's with something that is positive, that makes people happy. You know, what if I were known as the best guy ever to play Charles Manson or something <laughs> ghastly like that? Uh, you know, uh, I could have been the the best Adolf Hitler you've ever seen. So <laughs> uh, there's always uh, there's always an upside, and I I try and find it.
3: Um, let's go back to before you were or be- became mm-hmm. Skywalker. You, 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 there's a couple of things you said um, previously that struck me. So just sort of trying to understand knowing you through Twitter, um, right. your, your incredible good humour and, mm. and relaxed attitude to the world, even right. in the face of some quite bad stuff. It's quite un hollywood and, and what you said a few years ago was that you didn't care when you first moved to Hollywood whether you were in the show. I don't have to be in the show. You said, I want to be near the show. So yeah. the lure was
1: not fame and fortune. The lure was something no, subt- uh, subtler than that. I'll tell you, James, when I would audition for parts in, in school, if I didn't get a part, fine. I'll work crew, I'll be a prop man, I'll sell tickets, I make good posters. I was always drawn to the show, and, and I mean that sincerely. I, I, uh, I just feel so lucky I'm able to do uh, things as an adult that I loved so much as a child.
3: And, and you, were, you were the middle of seven children. I so was. Presumably you needed to be quite... Uh, Robust to get noticed
1: Yes, and you know, that was part of They were a captive audience They suffered (laughs) through endless magic tricks And puppet shows And I was uh, always recruiting kids from the neighborhood To to put on backyard shows And so forth, like the old Mickey Rooney movies It it was just fun I like making people laugh You know, And I very early on Harbored these secret dreams I'd never say it out loud Why give my brothers and sisters fodder For ridicule But one of my earliest memories is seeing uh, Clarence Nash on the Walt Disney Show recording a Donald Duck cartoon. I don't know how old I was, four or five? And this light bulb went off. I don't know why I didn't think of it before. Someone gets paid to go to work and talk like Donald Duck. I want that job. And another turning point for me was uh, seeing uh, King Kong, the black and white King Kong on television, Of course, every 8-year-old boy is obsessed with dinosaurs, and I just, I didn't know how they did it. It would just And plus, it was tragic, you know. It just killed me that, you know, you had your sympathy with so much with Kong. And, I, you know, when it would come on again, I'd watch it in hopes that they wouldn't be able to get him to New York again. <laughs> My mom kept saying, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Because I'd be in tears, you know, it's so sad. <laughs> just because he's different, as Homer later remarked. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and that's what I discovered. Uh, a magazine called Famous Monsters of Film Land it had a King Kong cover of a King Kong film book and I read about stop frame animation and I learned who Willis O'Brien was and Ma- Marcel Delgado and Ray How- Harryhausen all these things so I was just mad passionate for the behind the scenes stuff I was just so interested in that now the you know Empire magazine is doing the same thing yes. for the younger generation that Famous Monsters did when I was a kid But it's so funny when you talk to George Lucas or Spielberg or any of those guys, they were weaned on famous monsters as well. So I had this uh, great desire to be, I didn't know what I would be. Uh, and like I say, you'd see these making of documentaries. Uh, Walt Disney was particularly good at pulling back the curtain. Obviously, they were selling a movie, but like sure. the making of Darby O'Gill and the little people, you'd, you'd see, oh, wait, there's the camera crew and there's the carpenters who build the sets and there's artists that do scenic design. You know, that's getting back to your question. I don't have to be in the show. I want to be near the show. I thought, you know, even if I fall on my face, I'm not a bad cook. I could cater the show. Uh, And I loved live theater. Live theater was the first link because I didn't know where movies came from. My dad was in the Navy. We moved every couple of years. I went to nine schools in 12 years, graduated from Yokohama High School. So not only did I not know anybody in show business our, nobody in my family knew anybody in show business. The biggest celebrity was uh, the our next door neighbor was a baggage handler at San Diego Airport, and Jerry Lewis dropped his wallet on the tarmac, and Don returned it, still grouse that he only got a ten dollar tip. I don't know what he was expecting, but it just I was sh- it shook me to my core. Jerry Lewis is inhabits our world somewhere you know it just didn't seem right cuz he was up on the big screen and you know who knew where he, who knew where he came from but
3: um it's a magic then
1: that you yes. your
3: siblings feel the same way or were you were, you a, were you a, sort of was this a, well, a man mission
1: well my older brother became a doctor right he's brilliant academically in a way i couldn't be i said bill i could play a doctor i don't think i could ever be a doctor and he had that predisposition uh, like I did years before, my mom would open the freezer and it'd be aghast because there would be a frozen squirrel inside that had been run over. And uh, Bill, why'd you do that? Because he wanted to dissect it later. I mean, I couldn't even take off my own bandage, uh, much less do what he did. So he, he was oriented that way. My younger brother, Patrick. Just a brilliant technician with computers in a way that i don 't understand he 's talking about modems and he, you know he, he 's uh, very successful in in his and all my brothers and sisters are different in their own ways. I have a sister who's a, a, a one of the top uh, dog trainers. I said, Jeannie, you really ought to get into film and television with your skills and she's she 's yeah. sort of like a Hardcore. I don't think, believe animals should be in movies and film. <laughs> no. She'd be the kind of person you go see the movie. She didn't care if a hundred people f- fell off cliffs to their death. If one horse fell down, she'd be in tears. So she's pretty <laughs> strong-willed. But all my brothers and sisters have very different personalities. But oddly enough, none of them in show business.
3: A, a, a very happy childhood then, by the sound. Yeah, yeah. Might, yeah. That I mean, must have got something right as well to instill all of you with this. Yeah, it's a combination of confidence and and vision. You 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 appreciated. The- the broadness of her
1: I think so I mean I you know I look back on the fact that we had to adapt to new uh, surroundings every couple of years to, to you know you all you want desperately is a kid to fit in yeah. not stand out not bring attention to yourself um, I don't think my father was particularly encouraging he wanted all of us to go into the military you know and I you know I said dad again I could play a military officer uh, but uh, he thought I would grow out of it. You know, I was, let's see, 1974, I would have been four years into my career, and he visited, and I was, you know, I I don't want to give you my credits, but I, I'd done, you know, 50 TV shows. I'd been on a soap opera for nine months. It got canceled, but I had on a TV series for half a season, and I brought him to a screening of The Paper Chase about law students on the lot. So I thought, well, that's impressive, yeah. too. And on the way home, he said to me, you know, Mark, I've been thinking, if you ever decide to go to law school, <laughs> I'll match you, match you dollar for dollar. <laughs> and at first, I was really insulted. And I thought, I could level this guy if I told him how much I made last year. But I thought, don't do it. It's not worth it. He's never going to get it, You really. He thought, even at that age, I would have been 22 that, that it would be something I would outgrow um, I don't think he ever was really impressed until I was on the Bob Hope Christmas special, because oh my gosh it's Bob Hope, that made sense to him That's Jerry know? Lewis level
3: yeah. it like, yeah, I mean, yeah. suddenly it Well there.
1: he must be doing something right if Bob Hope wants him on the show <laughs> Was he proud of you? I think in his own way I you know I think he would have been prouder if he, if I'd gone into a a a profession that he really understood uh, I know he's proud of my brother but let's face it science beats the arts so Bill is still considered the success of the family.
3: Is he really? You're of the course. black sheep. You're the you're the embarrassing <laughs> brother. But it's interesting you say that because you've you've said a couple of things that that, that make you different from a lot of actors I've met. I'd appreciate you were moving around schools a lot, but you right. didn't want to be the center of attention. Right. You didn't mind whether you were on stage or or backstage right. cooking. You, you don't seem to have the look at me, Gene, at all. You don't seem to have the show off thing going on. Well, I mean, to
1: a certain extent, I love making people laugh, but I would cede the uh, title class clown to the person that would go the distance. I mean, act up enough to get thrown out of class. I knew where the limits were. And I mean, my father was a disciplinarian. We knew we had to, you know, if we got kicked out of school or, or, you know, detention was one thing, but, you know, he had certain limits and we didn't want to test him. How how much of his parenting did you...
3: Employ when you became a father.
1: You know, we look back and we think, were we too permissive with our kids? I mean, we didn't insist on them going straight from high school into college. My elder son now says I sort of regret that. Uh, Griffin never wanted to go to college, and he's a martial arts instructor. Maybe he didn't need it. My youngest is a, a is a, a, my daughter, who is our one academic success story. She <laughs> she went to USC. Uh, she graduated magna cum laude and then got her master's degree in uh, communications management. Translation: She's unemployed. <laughs> uh, but no, she, she can has, teach communications management. <laughs> <It's> always, <laughs> well. That's what's so amazing in today's uh, uh, the world today that you can have these people. I mean, she's interned with really great production companies and so forth. She was my personal assistant on on episode seven and episode eight and it's a that's a double edged sword because she's very good at what she does. But she'll sometimes play the daughter card mm-hmm. where I think, you know, if a real personal assistant said or did that, I'd be so fired. <laughs> but uh I love her and she does and when she's I sold her, when you are good, you're the best there is. When you have your little meltdowns, you know, it's it's I have to react like a dad, not like an employer. But uh, she really loves it. She loves being in the business. She doesn't really want to be on camera, but uh, I think she's going to find her way somewhere behind the scenes.
3: So the, you
1: mentioned not, not insisting
3: that your children move straight from high school to, to college.
1: What did you do after graduating from
3: Yoko... Yokohama?
1: Well, I mean, part of it was the circumstances. Had I not gone to college, I was w- eligible for the draft. And I thought I'd you be... Didn't a dis- know, you don't have bone spurs. You can't... <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, was a lot of it about, apparently. Yeah.
1: <laughs> not enough to quit the tennis team or the basketball team or stop golfing. But, uh, you know, I knew I'd be hopeless. I mean, I didn't understand that war, what our objectives were, what we were fighting for, like everyone at the time. It doesn't seem like we've learned much. Sure. Uh, sure. I thought, well, at least we'll never fight a pointless war again. And here we are. But... Um, no, I, I went to—and I didn't have any money, so uh, uh, I was I was on the honor roll, but I didn't have, like, really bust-out grades where you'd get a scholarship to a school you wanted to go to. So I went to City College in Los Angeles because I was California—born uh, in California— uh, at the time, it was eight dollars and a pen and you 're in seriously, but yeah, but you really had to prove yourself because I had to have not only could i i was a theater arts major, but you had to uh, carry enough academic courses to i think we had to have uh, fourteen and a half units or whatever it was and uh, that that was certainly motivation but i I really wanted to succeed at whatever I did. And I, I thought there were certain things about the drama department where I thought, well, this is really hokey and politics like crazy. And I, this is kind of stupid. I don't want to learn it, but keep it in the thought bubble, mm-hmm. do whatever you have to do to succeed. And uh, I look back on it as a really a great foundation of discipline that I've employed to this very day. And, and so
3: by now you were, I mean, when you apply to do theater arts, you are dreaming of, of, showbiz oh absolutely career. when did that kick in i appreciate you You know at the age of five you see things on the table right and think people are being paid but when did when did you begin to think yeah go on i'm gonna have a crack at this
1: well throughout my school years uh a turning point was hosting a variety show and I had a ventriloquist dummy. It sounds so corny now, but how empowering it was to be able to say things and blame it on, Oh, that's terrible. Don't say that. I mean, you know, mocking the, the food at school. And like I say, comedians talk about, they say, Oh, I know that feeling. Uh, and uh, you know, so I'd sit and hunt in front the mirror and try just not moving eyelids. I did all that stuff. You know how much work there are for ventriloquists oh, these days. Yeah, yeah, and when I realized with with magic, there were certain tricks that were almost mechanical in nature. And then you realize the really good people, mm. you know, do it ten hours a day yes. for years before they get proficient. You know, close up magic and all that. I said maybe that's not for me. I was very lucky. I did a, uh, I went to my brother's wedding the summer I graduated high school. I thought I was going to go to New York because in all the books, that's where you go to, at ground zero where you don't have to have an agent. You drive a cab. You wait tables. You go to open auditions. But uh, uh, a friend of his had written an original musical comedy. He'd known me since I was a kid. Since I was doing magic tricks yeah. and impressions, you know, I mean, it was, must have been odd to see an eight year old say, let me make this perfectly clear. <laughs> you know, I was really working on my Nixon at, in sixth grade. Uh, but uh, he said, there's a part for you. I mean, you have to audition for the producers, but uh, you should do this. And I did. It was a 99 seat house. There was a guy by the name of Gil Bogus, who was from in the recording industry. His daughter was in the show. And so after the show, he said to me, are you serious about that? I said, uh, you bet. And he was the one that introduced me to people that eventually got me an agent. When I look back on it, and I think that was the first summer I was there. Yeah. I had to stay in school. By the next summer, I had, I had an agent, and I got my first professional job. And then by my third professional job, I got into SAG. Now, really, I, I say to people, tenacity is almost as important as talent. If you just stick to it, it's like spinning the roulette wheel. You might have to spin it 1,200 times before it comes up your number. A lot of people just give up and say, you know, I just can't take all this rejection. Uh, and I, at the time, you just take it for granted. Of course. When you look back and you think, gee, what a, what a lucky break I had. Because even though I couldn't, because my agents were going crazy. They want you for this show or that show. I can't. I've got school. If I miss class, I'll get kicked out and I'll wind up in Vietnam. So I worked the the summer of 1970, and after I'd finished... What were the jobs? What was the first job, Mark? Let's see, I did um, an unsold pilot, then I did the Bill Cosby show. Gosh. Uh, uh, I did, uh, uh, I think, the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist, who I'd later work with, because he played Alfred on the animated Batman. Wonderful guy. Um, So you arrived quickly and... and yeah, well, I I was at the point where I could subsist because I had odd jobs. I worked sure. as a copy boy at Associated Press. I worked at an ice cream store as a as a soda jerk. Um, and the school would help you. In other words, at one point I was working at a fast food restaurant and I didn't have a car. I mean, it's terrible. You shouldn't get like ever kids, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. And, you know, I'd have to get from school to the fast food place and it was crazy. So eventually this, and I went to the, the, to the faculty and they understood my problem. So they started giving me jobs around the school. I I mopped floors. I did jan- janitorial work. I also was pretty good with dialects, so they let me tutor students in dialects. You know, mm. for three, four dollars an hour, whatever it was. So you know, you beat them halfway; they'll really help you. And uh, you know, uh, like I say, after the draft was over, or I had a high enough number where I wouldn't have been called. I, I regret not doing four years. I should have, because I uh, I was always my parents said, have something you can fall back on. Sure. If it all goes south on you. So I was doing I was getting enough units where I could become a, a teacher. I thought, well, if I can't do it professionally, I'll go teach drama. I'll direct and it'll it'll be work out great. And I, I love kids and I I, I admire teachers. Uh, <clears throat> but, but you were getting so much work that you... I started getting enough work where my agent said, you know, especially when the draft thing went away. Yes. Then you know the floodgates open. One of my advantages was even though I was over eighteen, I could play fifteen, sixteen right. without a welfare worker. Sure. And if it's a coin flip between a guy where you have to have the added ex- expense of an onset teacher. Um, I took, uh, you know I was lucky in that regard as well and
3: did you have a goal was there a dream was there a thing that at that age you would have said that's what I want mm.
1: or were you just happy to be in the game yes I was happy to be in the game I look back now and I say you know in a way I probably wish I'd taken uh, 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 been a film major instead of a theater major because when you're a theater major they want to train you just for theater television is beneath you movies are garbage I mean there's no uh, uh, synergy between departments I mean Film students would say, "Can you play a part in my student film?" I would say, "Yeah, but we can't let the theater arts department find out about it." Or you know, they really look down their nose on. Even when I got a job where I had to take it, but uh, I went to the head of the department and I looked at it as an acting exercise. It was based on reality. I got tearful talking about my mom is in the hospital. She has diabetes, and uh, you know, all that whole thing. I won't do it for you, but. Uh, because I couldn't just say I got a professional job. I went back later and spoke at the school, and I said, it's too bad they didn't let me go to the job, then come back and tell you kids. When, what you get at an audition, do you get the full script? Do you get out of your chair or do you just sit and read with it? The, get them up to speed on what professional sure. show business is all about. Instead, I had – and I was living in a house with four other guys from the department. So And I couldn't even tell them. I had to pack my bags. Seriously. Exactly. And and walk far enough away and then hitchhike and, and get a, a motel room over by the studio in the valley. It was crazy. But uh, that only happened twice. And uh,
3: uh, there's no there's no sense of momentum and you are just enjoying whatever comes along. There's no master plan.
1: No, no. And I tell people if I if there was a formula, uh, I would write it down and sell it or, you know, at least share it because everyone has to follow their own path and, and recognize opportunity when it comes. One thing I'll say is that any chance you get to get in front of an audience, you should do it. I said to my agent, I don't want to be on a soap opera. I mock soap operas openly. I never watched them for entertainment and and uh, you know when I look back the great training it was finding your mark without looking down at the floor it was virtually live they didn't stop for anything even though it was tape delay Um, tremendous uh, training and it's a great way to learn not so high profiles some of these kids get big movies and they're 16 years old and um, you know, I say get take every opportunity you can. I don't care if it's dinner theater or uh, even, in, you know, amateur theater. Mm. Get in front of an audience. That's always the, the, the training ground. It's the craft that fascinates
3: you. Yeah, yeah. It's the actual putting things together and getting things assembled and put in front of an audience. Uh,
1: no doubt. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Not I'm not the only one that thinks that way. I oh. was struck by how many... People that were ushers on Broadway, you talk to them and you find out, oh, my gosh, she was in the chorus of damn Yankees. You know, she's in her late 60s now. God, because really? once you have that in your blood, you're drawn to the theater. Even and nothing else touches it. Nothing else touches it, you know. so uh...
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom
3: Uh, what about the other stuff? What about the outside of the school and the theaters and the and the auditions? Were you did you did you immerse yourself in the in the seamier side of Hollywood when you were young? Or, or well, since I mean, you're
1: probably too, well I didn't. Have, yeah, well, there's no time for that. I mean, not if you really. It's like I couldn't even really. I said I want to have really long hair and be a cool <laughs> hippie guy, but you know that would limit you as far as parts. Sure, yeah. So I mean, I was. You know, I, you do what you have to do to succeed. You know, uh, the closest it ever got to see me was my—I moved in with a girl was in my drama school, and we both got an audition to, on that soap opera I was talking about. And uh, we had different agents, so I said to her, let's pretend like we don't know each other when we go out, because we're going to play brother and sister. So we said, how do you do? How do you do? And we read the scene and everything. that said, gee— you kids have tremendous amount of rapport. We were like, "Well, we're just good actors." <laughs> now that was all very well and good, but when the producer found out that they were delivering scripts to the same address, he had us into the office, and, the, and this was early seventies. I'm sure they have incest storylines now, <laughs> but at the time, he said, "Look, <clears throat> I just have to tell you, if the audience finds out that you're an item." They're going to look at it and it's going to really blow the reality. They're going to be repulsed because it'll seem like incest. We were like, really? He said, yeah, I just don't want to see you in the fan magazines holding hands or, you know, making out at premieres or anything because I will fire you. And I thought, okay, Uh, but uh, that's it. That's the debauchery. That was secondhand. Yes, exactly. Fantasy 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 debauchery. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Um, And then Star Wars on the horizon by this point. Not that you knew it.
1: When did that first? Well, it's interesting because I, I finally got what I consider a really quality TV series. The Mary Tyler Moore people who did. Uh, her show and Bob Newhart, and they they just were uh, cut above most other sitcoms. I did a, a show called The Texas Wheelers, and it was at the time innovative because there was no se- uh, laugh track. Okay. And in, it, gosh, that what is it? What was ahead of its time? Well, actually? yeah, I mean it's commonplace now, but uh, it, it was a great comedic role for me because he was. He had a no self awareness at all. He was a braggart, a lie. It was a, a larger than life. It was sort of like the anti Waltons. The father was a yeah. drunk. Uh, Jack Elam, a wonderful character actor, one of those guys. If you see him, you go, "Oh, that guy." He's yeah. in all the western with a cock eye. It's me, your loving daddy. You know <laughs> Gary Busey. Oh, really? In, in one of his uh, the first time I'd ever seen him, so authentic because he's from Oklahoma. The Texas Wheelers and we were just the, you know this raucous family that you know fist fights and drinking and craziness when it was canceled i was devastated because i said i'm never going to get a a, a comedy i mean i got to play comedy in, in a way that i never had even in guest starring in shows not since the stage was i able to be a comedian so i was really depressed cut to the chases if that show had been a hit there's no way it was available for Star Wars because oh. that happened in 76. Say it was a yet. It. it premiered in 74. 75 would have been the beginning of our second season, and it would run into the beginning of Star Wars, and they're not going to let you out of your contract uh, no matter what uh, happens. It's always hard
3: for people outside the industry to understand that, just yeah. how, how handcuffy it can
1: be. Yeah. And but, it's just, well, like they cast Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones, yeah. and he couldn't get out of... Hawaii Five-0. Brosnan, was it Bond and he was doing Remington Steel? Something like that. So, meeting. you know, well, at least... So serendipity. Yeah, at the time, yeah, it yeah. felt like a kick in the proverbials, but I it, thought it was. Out- yeah, I thought that's the... I mean, it's not only... It's not like I was fatalistic like this the end of my career. It's just I lost the drive. I thought, because I'm going to go back to these sappy sitcoms with uh, artificial laugh tracks or or not get to play comedy. You know, I was too yeah. waspy to play ethnic roles. So I thought, well, maybe back to Broadway, because, you know, that, that's where I felt I belonged. So if you had to put into words what it was about
3: that role that you loved the most, it's really interesting to hear you describe it, because it's, you know, you'd still have been living most people's dream if you went back to the sappy sitcoms, and mm-hmm. it would still put you in the top 1% of working, sure. of anyone who describes themselves as an actor. Yeah. But what was it about this show... The Texas Wheelers that gave you some, I mean, that th- th- suddenly
1: f- reached parts of you that nothing else had ever reached before. Well, it was genuinely funny. It wasn't set up punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was character comedy. Okay. The, you know, I i loathed my father. And yet we were so much alike. We were both delusional. We both told tall tales. You know, I was a swaggering guy talking about all this. Eh. Conquests. He was a virgin, you know, but it had a very sort of pulver like I want to see this show. Well, <laughs> even though even though it was bucolic, and you know, the New York Times said probably the finest bucolic comedy since Tobacco Road. Seriously. The critics loved it. The audience I mean, I think ABC lost confidence. If it had been eight o'clock, it's a family show on the on the week days. They thought it's too edgy. Let's put it Friday nights at nine thirty right. when teenagers all go out. I mean, they, you know, it's funny because they had the confidence to buy it, but they didn't have the confidence to stay by it. Uh, but like, but it was I,
3: doing something that no one else was doing. That's what I'm, I'm picking. Yeah, up there's, absolutely. There's nuance.
1: There's layers. Right, there's and it was there was nothing else on. like it on television. And at because the time.
3: you'd spent most of your life as a student of, of film and theater right. and entertainment, you appreciate more than many people would. Yeah.
1: Have been just how different this was from Yeah, and also, I mean, people like Jack Lemmon was one of my favorites, and he had that sort of cockiness as Ensign Pulver, you know, that's, you know, so self-assured with no justification for it. Uh, So I wasn't actively aping him, but uh, uh, I understood who he was. I'd been there, because I was, by that time, I would have been 22 and so you were still a child, Yeah, really, but, but you but, had a but, very sophisticated but, understanding but of... But Doobie Wheeler, as he was Doobie called, Doobie. was like 16. Right. Oh, so you're okay. just... You're just far... In Star Wars, I was 24, playing 18. Yeah, 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 Carrie was truly 19. In fact, I remember when I, I said, you're going to go meet Carrie tonight, and I was thinking she's 19. She's just out of high school, you know, and I'm a worldly 24. <laughs> then I meet her, and she has the... Composure and the demeanor of someone ten years older than me. And she also managed to cram into a
3: month more than most people.
1: Cram oh my god! <laughs> Within an hour of meeting her, she's telling me these hair-raising details about Debbie and Eddie's marriage. Running. Should I be hearing this? I mean, <laughs> it, really, she had no barriers. Like she would just open up and tell you things. You know, I thought later, it's almost like she. I was an old family friend for 15 years because I never would have been that revealing about those kinds of things about my parents. Uh, Certainly not the first time I met someone. This what makes her memoirs so riveting. Well, Well, she was one of a kind. She certainly was. Was that the first time you met? You'd already got the part. Right,
3: right. So there was no screen-tested look for
1: chemistry like you had with the incest? no no we had a we had, i did a screen test with harrison but not with uh what carrie was that like? what can you remember about that
3: well uh did you wh- know let me go back a little actually did you know when when this audition first came up that that this was potentially enormous or was it just a sort of weird? well
1: specified- we knew george had done american graffiti cool, and i loved that film um Uh, A friend of mine said, have you been out for it? He had been up for Han Solo and didn't get it. Actors only tell you about it once they've been rejected for the part. Otherwise, you might make a call. Of course. (laughs) So uh, I I said, it's the guy who did graffiti. What's it called? He goes, it's called the Star Wars. And I think it's something like Flash Gordon. No one had seen his script. So I went on a cattle call. Hundreds of people there. And you go, oh, you could tell. Those are all the Luke's. If you were a teenage actor, you were Luke's. If you were leading man, kind of late 20s or mid-30s, you were Han Solo's. And you go in. uh, Brian De Palma was having a a, a mutual uh, cattle call with George for Carrie, the horror film based on the Stephen King film. And, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You didn't read a script. You didn't talk about the movie. You just said, well, just like I'm telling you on One of the Seven Children, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, thank you. After five, six minutes, next. And I said, who was that guy next to him with the beard was that his assistant they said no that's george lucas I said, really he didn't say anything the whole time he didn't say a word and a few weeks later my agent said oh they're sending you sides which what they call you know just a scene and you're going to go in and at a certain time certain place and they're going to test you for for the part can i get a script no okay. we asked no just the, the screen test and I couldn't make it out, James. I'm reading this thing going, it's so hard to tell whether this is, like, sincere or is it a parody? It could be Kemp. Yeah, maybe it's Mel Brooks. Sure. Like, you know, who knows? Um, I was trying to ask George, as I said, are is this, like, a serious... Is, George sort of recoils about talking about it. He goes, um... Well, let's just do it, and we'll talk about it later. Which he, I learned later is code for, let's just do it, and we'll never talk about it. Ever. <laughs> ever, ever. because that's <laughs> the way he is. He doesn't want to talk about motivation or backstory and all that. And I knew Harrison from American Graffiti, and I thought, oh, well, he knows George. I said, Harrison, come on. Is this like, are we like sort of arch and comedy? Uh, let's, let's just get it done. So he was no help. So the only decision I made that was probably the right decision, I said, well, I'm not going to take it upon myself to um, be stylized in any way. I'm going to take this at face value and try and be as sincere as I can. I finally managed to have the nerve to look at the screen test because years ago I signed the rights for them to put it on a DVD extra. I never watched it. But the family was out, I think, when we were doing Force Awakens for the afternoon. I thought, and I came across it, screen to I said, Oh, dare I? <laughs> I clicked on it. And what was interesting was I saw everybody else. I saw Kurt Russell and Robbie Benson and William Catt. Uh, I can't remember who else. But what I was struck by was that each one of them was a perfect Luke Skywalker, really? in my opinion. Um, and I looked at mine. I thought, well, one thing that was I was okay with was. I wasn't pushing. I was relaxed. A lot of times if you really want something, the neediness shows through. In this case, um, I wasn't overdoing it, probably taking my cue from Harrison, who's just can't be anything but completely natural. But honestly, you know, I've said this before. My my daughter can mouth it word for word. Billy Lord can do the whole, help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. She can do Carrie's speech. (laughs) My daughter's heard this so often. I said to Chelsea, but it's interesting because it it p- helps people understand what I was up against. In the screen test, there's a line that never made the final cut. And you can diagram it as a sentence, and it makes sense once you break it down. Here's the problem. To say it as though it's spontaneous and it's just coming off the top of your head It's the scene. They took out Obi-Wan and the Wookiee. It's us going towards the Death Star. That's no moon. That's a space station. I said, what? And he goes, hey, kid. I've held up my part of the bargain. As soon as we get to so-and-so, you and the droids, I'm dropping you off. Here's the line. I said, but we can't turn back. Fear is their greatest defense. I doubt if the actual security there is any greater than it was on Aquali or Sullust. And what there is is most likely directed towards a large-scale assault. (laughs) <laughs> uh. I mean, yeah, fear is their greatest offense. Yeah, the, it's so ominous. I doubt if the actual security there is any greater than it was on two made-up names for planets. And what there is is most likely directed towards a large-scale assault like Ar- Armada, that the Millennium Falcons can slip in like a haypenny, you know. and it's So it made sense. But I said, now try and say it like it's spontaneous. Yeah. And Harrison famously said, hey, George, you can type this stuff. You just can't say it. Right Use <laughs> right. a stronger word than stuff. Because, oh, I mean, I love the outtakes of Harrison because he had to say things like, it'll take a few moments for the Navi computer to calculate the coordinates. But squibs are going off, you know. You think, I can do it at home in front of my mirror. They start sending off explosions and rocking the cockpit. You get a little rattled. But we had a great time, and I think it chose. Did you know when you were making it that you were essentially alchemists? Well, no. I mean, I was one that was a big enthusiast of these kinds of films. And I said, I think this is going to outgrow Planet of the Apes. I meant the Charlton Heston one. Because uh, I said, it's got humor. I but was said, that
3: you? Were you always optimistic? Because I sensed that you were probably quite a bouncy individual. Well, you, oh, you yeah. Still are. yeah, so yeah. I there's a little t- bit of always wanting to think this is going to be.
1: Right. Well, I said, well, even if it flops at the box office, yeah. it's got midnight cult hilt written all over it. We'll be in rotation with Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> because it's so trippy. I mean, it's a fairy tale more than it is a uh, science fiction. we got a, a princess, a pirate, a wizard, a farm boy. You know, all of it. Uh it, it read much more like Wizard of Oz yes, than it did, yes. like, uh, you know, Close traditional science. Yes, right. yes yeah. exactly. Yeah, so. And, I mean, we all know 2001 is a classic, but a laugh riot, it ain't. <laughs> and this one sure. had – I mean, are you kidding me? The robots are arguing over whose fault it is. I mean, it just had so much – and then all of a sudden, you know, it was spiritual with the force. I said, this has got a lot going on, and I this is – Something that I would be on... If I didn't get the part, I would have been there first day, first show to see it. And that you knew then, I mean,
3: that it was potentially a trilogy or or that...
1: Yes, we were signed. If the first one were successful, we were uh, contracted to do part two and part three. And when did it become clear just how successful it was? Was The day it opened... a driver picked me up to take me in to dub the 35 millimeter prints because it opened in I don't know 30 theaters in 70 millimeters. So the day it opened, we were still doing ADR, additional dialogue recording, dubbing really for the 35 millimeter print. I said, "Hey, can you drive by Gramm's Chinese on the? Way. It's right on the way. I want to see what it looks like up on the marquee because they couldn't. They there was no poster when it opened because the advertising department couldn't decide." How to promote it. One side said. What is it? Because of what you just said. Right. Well, one campaign was an entertainment journey beyond your imagination. Far beyond. It was kind of pretentious and heavy. The other one made it sort of like goofy, like a rollicking comedy. And you saw the Wookiee and uh, very little rascals in outer space. (laughs) I think they sort of merged the two in some way. But when we drove by, there was no poster. They put up lobby cards and. Lo and behold, there are lines around the block. First day. Now, I don't remember seeing ads on TV. I did see one in the theaters. Carrie and I were near a theater. She said, you know what? Our trailer's on in there. And I said, really? She said, let's go see it. I said, I can't go to the movies right now. And come on. She said, well, go ask them if they'll let us just watch the trailer. I said, you go ask him. You're the (laughs) one who's got famous parents. If anybody can get in, it's you. She said, no, go on. So to make a long story short, the manager, when we explained, we're two of the actors in Star Wars. And you're showing the trailer. He must have known about the trailer. So he said, "Okay, come on in. And we didn't have to pay. And um, there's always somebody that shouts out and gets laughs. And I remember I laughed, too, and then I thought, ooh, I wonder if he's right. because. What <laughs> did he shout? Well, they didn't have any really, uh, uh, you can see it online now. You can Google it and watch it online. They didn't have many special effects finished. So this, this it was a pulsing, boom, 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 somewhere in space. It could all be happening. They're coming in too fast! You know, and then the boom, boom, cutting back to, to show only little snippets. Uh, you know... And I think the thing that made this guy think of it is when they eventually saw the Wookiee in headphones turning, you know, out of nowhere. The culmination of the trailer was a billion light years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. Big explosion. And he said, yeah, and it's coming to the Late Late Show about two weeks after that, pal. <laughs> Huge laugh. And Kerry and I both laughed, and then we went, ooh, well, yeah, well, what, if he's, what if he's right? I think posterity
3: has, has judged his prediction fairly <laughs> conclusively, hasn't it? We, that guy's probably running a major studio this by is, now. Obvious, but we now have to fast forward through, through several decades of your life and career up until the latest star wars film the last jedi you did you expressed some reservations about it um during filming or, or, or shortly after filming you must but you must be
1: proud of it though well my i i really let, lowered my guard there because that's the kind of comment that you keep internal in the rehearsal process it shouldn't be public and when i said it it was before i saw the film yes i was still struggling with uh you just you, you expressed some reservations about the way the director was taking your character right exactly you know and I said to Ryan, I said, "A Jedi never gives up, you know i even if I picked the next you know, the new hope and he turned up with the new Hitler." It would be a shock, but I'd read. I certainly wouldn't cut off my telepathic communications with my sister, all these things, but I'm old school George Lucas Star Wars. Yes. This is the next generation. It's not Luke's story anymore. So Ryan is so capable, such a really wonderful person, such a good writer, such a good director. I thought, you know what? Oh, as long as I get this off my chest, Lead. I'll take take my hand, and I will follow you anywhere. And I, it's better that I didn't keep it inside. Of course, because you're a clearer. You can give it. Yes, best. exactly. Yes. So as long as you know this, this, is why I feel. Let's try and make it work the best we can. And it did. I mean, now you. I it. think so. Yeah, and I've only seen it four times. It's, How many times are you asked to write? All the five that you've been in. Are you, uh, how many times are you asked to put them? In? Yeah, well, I say, no, I'm not going to ask you. To no, do but that. my answer is quite simple. It's like being asked, "Who's your favorite child?" Yeah. Well, well some parents can answer that well, question. <laughs> not honestly. You know, no, you say right. <laughs> you like them all for different reasons. Indeed, you do. And you like this one because? Well, I think it's 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 there's so many unexpected twists and turns. It's got great humor. It's got everything you want in a Star Wars movie. And it's not easy to keep surprising people after all these years because they expect so much. People were appalled. You killed Snoke. You know, what what is his backstory? So Ryan said to me, the biggest favor I did, Episode Nine is getting rid of that guy. I mean, he's just a a doppelganger for the Emperor. His backstory is not important. And it clears the deck to make the conflict between Kylo and Rey. He's really smart. Because, I mean, I understand it. I'm, I understand the fans because I am a fan. Yeah,
3: but you still are. That's the amazing thing. What's I just that? Saw on your face there, when you said if I hadn't got the part, I'd still have loved this series. Oh, I absolutely. Think, I think you'd almost be talking about it like this narrative Oh, I know. I'd be a huge so Star Wars
1: been... nerd. I'd have my Yoda ears on and... <laughs> <laughs> I you mean, really would, wouldn't I you? I love yeah. all of that stuff. I love all that stuff. So, I mean, I was giddy with, you know, I was in the giant ranker hand. I said, I'm feeling so fey-ray. I mean, I was the one that was excited about all the merchandising. I said, Harrison, you look, I see we're, we're, we're a Pez dispenser. He goes, whatever floats your boat. He could care less. And I think that's what's, what's interesting, too. Marsha said there were two sets of Luke Han and Laius. Yeah. And they didn't mix or match. It was down to this set or that set. George was packing to go to London to stay to make the movie. And he still hadn't decided. Marsha, his wife, takes credit. She said, you really ought to go with our set. And they didn't put Carrie over with this group. It was all three. It's this Larry, Moe, and Curly or that Larry, Moe, and Curly. And they picked our Larry Moe, and Curly. Well, thank God they did. Mark Hamill, what a pleasure. Thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you. That was
3: magnificent. Nice See. to talk to you. Likewise. And here we are for the traditional post-match analysis with Rich Cooper, the producer of Unfiltered, who is also, I hadn't realised until, actually I saw your face at the end of that interview, what a massive Star Wars fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, who isn't a massive Star Wars well, fan? Well, some people are. I hate people that boast about not being stuck you know that i've, well, I've never seen oh Star Wars. contrarians yes yeah. you get that don't yeah, you? yeah yeah bollocks to that and, and i'm with you and and prepared to be you know slightly disappointed or, or to be um a little bit uh, he's answered all of these questions a billion times before he'll be going through the motions but no, mm. none of that was a no exactly yeah i think you had quite a good good flow with him there was trying he... to get beneath the skin of mark hamill well i wanted to because of anyone i've ever interviewed not just for unfilter but all the other stuff i've done over the years I don't know that there's anyone actually more iconic to me than, than Luke Skywalker and therefore the man that plays. I mean literally I think I was six mm. when I saw it in a cinema in Skegness because my dad had accidentally driven us to Lincoln for a, for a church service. It was the first Catholic mass in Lincoln Cathedral since the Reformation. And We got there at 5 to 8 in the morning and saw on the door that it was 5 to 8. It was 8 o'clock at night. So we had 12 hours to kill in Lincolnshire. I never spent time on my own with my dad. I never went to the cinema to see anything other than an annual Disney film with my sister. Mm. I never saw grown-ups. So Star Wars for me, I know it's for everybody, but I'm special. It was, really, it was really seminal. And meeting Mark Hamill. I, I might retire now, mate. I just thought I'd give you a heads up. Early. Oh, that's oh, good of you to do that on, on the air. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of, it's weirdly, this is a great thing about Star Wars. It's the same for people of my generation. Yeah, that's what I didn't get until I saw the reaction today. <laughs> you were as excited, if not more excited than How I How could you not be? It's Mark Hamill. Yeah. Like a, and on yeah. that bombshell. <laughs> Well, hopefully people listening to it or watching it, if they enjoyed it, I don't know, a tenth as much as we did, then our work here is done, isn't it? And if you did enjoy it, then please feel free to leave a review um, at whatever portal platform you get Unfiltered from. And um, if there's an opportunity to to rate it, then please do that as well. And don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget to subscribe.
1: You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe.